fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. We're ready. We're ready. We're recording. Here we are. This week's kind of weird. Let me say this. Happy fall. Right. Happy fall. Uh, September, well, whenever this episode launches, but we're, it's officially fall. It is. Already, I put my Halloween, I put my Halloween tree It doesn't up. feel like fall outside, but we're, we're bringing out all the decorations, all uh-huh. the fall candles. All the things. All, all the spooky. It's, it's Lacey's favorite season. It is. Spooky season. September 1st, boom, Christmas, I mean, Halloween, Halloween. tree in the window. Yep. Not sure what the neighbors think. Don't care what the neighbors think. Don't really it care. It looks really good. Fingers good crossed job. that they think I'm a Wiccan. <laughs> they probably do. They probably do. We'll do an episode on Wiccans later. Yeah. Abs- yes. Yeah. Uh, but today we're not even covering a fairy tale or we're, legend. We're covering a whole time period. A whole time period. <laughs> and I'm not sure where this idea came from. But today we're going to talk about the Victorian era and just the Victorians in general because they were different. They, they, were, were, they were interesting. Different. They were, you know, they didn't have modern luxuries. They no. were they were having to go rogue on a lot of things. There were some corn were, cobs involved in buttholes at one point. Yep. And they they had a like interesting fascination with death, probably because they there was so much of it around them. But they were they had some weird hobbies. They sure did. But we're gonna talk about them today. Maybe in the future we're, we'll cover other eras. Yeah, y'all, y'all let us know other time periods you're real interested in. I can't think of another time period. I don't Caveman. Some, somebody, that's where my mind mm-hmm. went. Somebody else will find something for us. We'll do a caveman murder. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Victorian time period. So I do teach a little bit of this in my English classes, and a lot of the literature that comes out of it is sad. You have stuff where you've got orphans and widows and sickness and plagues and all that kind of stuff. So it's Are you a, talking about 2021? I know. I thought I literally thought the same thing when (laughs) when I was talking out loud. And I was like, wait, yeah, history is repeating itself. Mm -hmm. This time period, it's a British history period, approximately between 1820 and 1914, relating to or corresponding with the Queen Victoria's reign, hence the name the Victorian era. She reigned from 1837 to 1901. So not the whole time, but it is mostly characterized by a class-based society so you've got a very stark class divide hierarchy Mm -hmm. there's a growing number of people that are able to vote and you've got this kind of new government in terms of having a woman in power there's the state's growing the economy's growing there's 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 some good stuff happening good stuff going on britain's the most powerful empire in the world at this point there's some good stuff going on Mm-hmm. There's also some bad stuff, but this their society was just very hierarchical, um, race, religion, where region, occupation. These were all things that people identified with, mm-hmm. and what determined their status. 
gender, class, all those things. So it's very, very divided, very clicky, mm-hmm. if you will. We don't like that. Right. Uh, quality of life was not great depending on where you fell into that class. Um, there was a big contrast between the upper and lower class. The high class enjoyed super luxurious homes. They had beautiful amenities like gardens and servants that catered everything they needed. On the other end of that spectrum, the poor people from this period had the opposite. The less fortunate were often forced to make a living by having their whole family in one room. Uh, No windows, no heat, no running water. Just the pits. Right. So you either had like a mansion or like one room house. Like the middle class was not that large. So Right. A lot of the wealthy people didn't have to work. Um, They had tons of resources at their disposal. Impoverished people, they would have to work for literally everything. And it was hard labor for very minimal profit, like just to be able to put food on their tables. In some cases, even the children were forced to work. There was a lot of like child, there were no child labor laws, I don't think. None. The classic story of this is Oliver Twist. He, he went to, he was an orphan and went to live in a workhouse where they often would employ children who could do smaller, harder tasks, especially things that had to do with like the industrial revolution and like machines that mm-hmm. if a kid was small enough to be able to like climb into a machine and fix something that a grown man couldn't do, they would have kids do it. It's not great. Not great if you were a poor child of no, this era. No OSHA. No. None. None. Wherever you were in that social hierarchy, your your social class had a lot to do with all the other stuff we're about to mention. Mm-hmm. So, you did not want to be at the bottom because then you get a corn cob. Because then you, <laughs> I'm gonna make you talk. Last week we, we talked about it. beef stew. Did this today we're talking about corn cobs. Neither of which are make you want to eat beef stew or corn cobs anytime mm-hmm. soon. So uh, hygiene. I think the Victorian age. A lot of people know about sickness, the black plague, things like that. So personal hygiene was not the best in terms of bathing, not a lot of indoor plumbing. So not a lot of bathing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people bathed in much smaller quantities of water than we use today. Uh, They had more of like the pitcher and the basin in their rooms. They just had a bowl. They just had a bowl beside their bed. I think we call that a hoe bath now. (laughs) I've never. Or a little sponge bath. Sponge bath. If we're is, being appropriate. If we're being appropriate. Uh, they were, they they also had to kind of pick and choose which parts of themselves that they cleaned since they didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of access to water. Hands, face, armpits, and private parts were uh, the essential regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, no need to dunk your whole body into a bath or a shower. Yeah. Just give those spots mm-hmm. a... Marubbin? A little swipe and you're mm-hmm. good. <laughs> Uh, bathing does eventually become more popular. The, after the publication, we have some interesting publications during this time period. Mm-hmm. After the pub, someone released a how-to manual on bathing. It was called a popular guide to the use of the bath waters. Oh, wow. I'll find you a copy that you can stick in your bathroom. All right. Some of the, some of the tips in this book included, uh, waiting four hours to bathe after eating a large meal. Yeah, that would be so hard to drown in a bathtub. As a, like a grown adult. Right. And that just makes me think of when you like eat a snack and at the pool and your parents make you wait like 30 minutes mm-hmm. until you can swim again. The, apparently this applied to a bowl of water next right. to you. 
so obviously if bathing is not super important or popular, um, neither were things like lotions or deodorants. Uh, people did not have a lot of options for covering up old smells in their clothes. Women who had lots of money, so that upper class could buy perfume or cologne, but it was cheaper to buy like that scented powder. The powder also would help you absorb wetness, which mm-hmm. is gross. My concern there is that you got a week month old BO that you're just covering over with a little bit of powder with like some bath and or some is it who had love spell? Remember that from the nineties? Bath and Body Works Probably love spell Works. or Victoria's Secret? Yeah, the spray. It's yeah. just the body spray. Yeah, just body spray mixed with bo. Yeah, not pleasant. Mm-mm. Uh, men, this would also oh, had their own kind of perf- perfume. I don't know if that's what they call it, cologne, if you will. It was like a spice infused rum. They, they just it, literally used rum. Uh, yeah, they just like dabbed themselves with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, a lot of men's cologne smells today are Mm -hmm. scented that way. So maybe it comes from the Victorians. Thanks, Victorians. Mm -hmm. This was invented for masking the odor of sailors back Mm in the 1500s, which makes... Old Bay Rum. Yep. They called it Bay Rum, which just makes me think of our Pirates episode. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, Malibu smells pretty good. Yeah, I mean, just dab you a little bit out on mm-hmm. your wrist. Or the, um, what's the one that makes the drink that tastes like uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch? You know what I'm talking about? Something, I guess something cinnamon. Fireball? No. Something cinnamon? Something, something good. Well, we'll find some and test it out. You just douse yourself up in some Fireball. You just smell like cinnamon. You just walk, you just walk around, around smelling like red it'd hot. Be a, it'd be a great scent for fall. Mm-hmm. Would be. Uh, shampoo, not not a thing. Uh, many women would wash their hair with egg yolks or vinegar diluted with some water. So Helping sure, the smell factor. I'm sure that smelled great. Uh-huh. And a last fun fact for you in terms of hygiene. In 1860, Hall's Vegetable Sicilian Hair Renewer was used to darken hair to hide their grays. So they kind of started the, the hair dyeing trend. Mm-hmm. Bad news is uh, it contained lead. So they were just... Dousing their head in lead. lead. I'm surprised that they cared about gray hair if they barely bathed. Priorities. Got your dark hair and you smell like a barn. B.O. Mm -hmm. Smell like rum and you don't have any grace. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess it goes without saying that if they didn't have um, a lot of good skills in terms of bathing themselves, their laundry also was not high on the list of things. Uh, Properly doing the laundry during this time would take forever Mm -hmm. you didn't just toss a pot into your washing machine women wore underclothing to protect their outer clothing from getting sweaty so the Mm -hmm. outer clothing was rarely washed yeah so they're only washing like their underlayers chalk was often used to really to you get out like grease and oil stains these just sound like old wives tales lemon and onion juice were used to lighten stains uh, I think people still do stuff like that now. Probably not an onion. Not, probably not an onion, but lemon. I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of people use lemon to get stuff out. Alcohol was even used for things like grass stains. Uh, kerosene was used for removing things like blood. They were just mixing stuff up over there mm-hmm. to see what worked. Uh, I feel like with the kerosene, it's like just go ahead and toss a match on it. and Right. You can't be around fire. any fire after right. you do your laundry. Right. Or else you might go up in flames. 
hot coals wrapped in a clean rag uh, were often set against garments to remove wax. That one makes sense to me. Which was probably important because I again, just imagine them carrying around candles for right. light. But again, if you just cleaned your clothing with kerosene for removing mm-hmm. blood stains and you set hot coal on it to remove wax, mm-hmm. you're in the market for a new skirt. Milk was used to get rid of urine stains and smells. Mm-hmm. It's gross. They, and then another, this makes me think of the lead. Uh, They would bleach their own clothes in their own urine. Yeah, because of the ammonia in your urine. Yeah, so they would use the urine to bleach their clothes and then the... But they would get milk to get urine out of... to get the urine out. Yeah. I'm glad we don't do that Maybe it was a very clean, like they drank a bunch of water and got really clean urine. Maybe, Mm -hmm. hopefully. Sometimes they would even use uh, like pig manure... Mm-hmm. as a cleaning agent once again the smells I can't, of the victorian I can't, I can't era imagine. i can't imagine uh transitioning from the nose to the mouth because there's mm. the smells were bad uh dental hygiene was also bad again not not surprising um they they weren't ignorant of it but it still is not what we have today. It wasn't a priority. Another publication came out about it, though. Mm-hmm. So They love how-to books. They love some how-to books. This one was called The Teeth and How to Save Them, mm-hmm. They, which advocated for brushing their teeth as many as five times a day. Which, so you're going to need to have some gum recession there. Right. Save the teeth, sacrifice the gums. Uh, you want to read this quote from The Teeth and mm-hmm. How to Save Them? To secure proper cleanliness, pleasant taste, and purity of breath, the teeth ought to be cleansed five times a day, once after each meal, once before retiring, and once during the morning. Ab- what is that word? Ablutions? What is an ablution? I don't know. I should know this because I'm an English teacher, but let's look it up. Ablutions means the act of washing oneself. Wow. So I guess they're saying... Well, I gotta take an ablution when we're done with this. I guess they're saying before you uh, wipe your armpits off with a... Make sure those teeth are clean. rag. A mm-hmm. rag. Yeah, make sure your teeth are clean. The working class did not have access to toothbrushes or toothpaste, so they had to get a little bit more creative. Mm-hmm. They would make homemade toothpaste out of chalk, soot, and sometimes even cuttlefish, which I've never seen a cuttlefish... What is a cuttlefish? Where do you get a cuttlefish? Name based on the name alone, I'm not interested. Why not just like uh, a salmon or a I don't know tilapia? Not what is it specifically about a cuttlefish? I don't know cuttlefish. Maybe there were some kind of mm-hmm. cleansing properties in it. Sometimes I would use celery as a toothbrush. I had a patient one time. He was 90 years old, and I, he told me. I said, "Let's go to the bathroom, and brush your teeth." And he told me he didn't have to brush his teeth because he ate many wheats every morning. I'd rather do that than brush my teeth with cuttlefish and celery. They're, you know, they're they're rough. Yeah. They can get yeah. off the the plaque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm again better than a little bit of cuttlefish on a celery stick. There you go. Uh, you you did need to take good care of your teeth. Okay. Uh, so and people would. Which try to they or they again they yeah they tried to they knew it was important and they tried to um you because you didn't have dental care like you didn't have a dentist Mm-mm. uh instead people would go <laughs> to their barber or their blacksmith to get their dental work done who would you trust more the barber or the blacksmith I, oh, that's a 
I'm going to go with That's blacksmith. Tough. They're like, you know, at least they're familiar with their fine tools. motor controls. Good. They're doing like yeah. a lot of, yeah. Things yeah. with tools. Cos- and- I feel like the barber would be more like cosmetic stuff. Blacksmith would be more like heavy duty stuff. Yeah. And uh, last fact about uh, dental hygiene, Listerine was marketed as floor cleaner and even used as a cure for gonorrhea. At that time, the, yeah. At, back Before it was a mouthwash. But, but you could cure your gonorrhea that you probably and, and, got from sticking a corn cob up your butt. And clean your floors. <laughs> here you go. We love an all-in-one product. The, okay, the cor- here's the corn. Lacey's been referencing the corn mm-hmm. cob. Tell us, will you tell us about just toileting in general i would this, love it's to a, the corn cob has is related to the bathroom yeah. in this time period who would have thought who would have thunk it uh, toilets at that time they were also sometimes known as water closets and they predated indoor plumbing so all the plumbing i got going through my crawl space right now they didn't have that none of it so when they would flush their toilets back then it would just go all dump into a cesspool in the basement and so they had to hire or create these jobs for these men known as the night soil men who would come at night to these people's basements and get all of the feces out of the base. Just imagine a pool of poop. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And uh, they would come at night. There was a law that said they had to come at night because the spell was so bad. But anyways, they would go and get all the poop and then they would they would sell it to farmers, which is, I mean... I mean, resourceful. Get, get your coin, you know. Resourceful. Um, corn cobs, though. Uh, the toilet paper was not invented until 1891. So until the, until then, people would often use newspaper or corn cobs. I, do you chew the? Okay, is it cooked corn or is it raw corn? I, and do you, if it's cooked corn, did you no. chew the corn off and then yeah, you got that I, little? I I think, I think it is. They ate the corn mm-hmm. and then. Instead of tossing the cob out, they they just stack up the corn cobs in the bathroom. But why like why wouldn't you use celery? Because that's what they're using for their toothbrushes. <laughs> Multi-purpose. I no, tell you. you have to be really careful that you don't mix up. Because then you have to say, is this my toothbrush celery or is this my poop celery? I think it would be obvious. <laughs> would it not? It might not. Or they just use the leaves of the corn. That makes more sense to me. It does, but. I'm pretty sure. No, it but, says corn but, cob. But the visual now is just mm-hmm. a straight up corn cob. I want you to think about that anytime you eat corn from now on. Um, thank you. Isn't that something? Like that corn? Isn't that like a poop joke? Somehow? I don't know. Probably. You got a corn cob in your butt or something? I don't know. I feel like I've heard Chase say that. I was about to say, David this, say that. this feels like something that yeah. our husband, mm-hmm. our fully grown men husbands who still make bathroom jokes would, mm-hmm. would know. We'll pull them and, and see what they think. Anyway, we've digressed. So, have you ever heard of the Great Stink of 1858? The Great Stink? The, of, the Great Stink. The all, Great Stink? All capitalized. Of 1858? No, of eight. yeah, of 1858. <laughs> yeah. I have not. Well, um, this is because this, this was a real thing, mm-hmm. because London smelled horrible. Uh, the summer heat... Uh, just made all of these smells worse. Like everyone's got no air conditioning, no air conditioning. Everybody's got the poop in the basement. Uh, sewage was just dumped straight into the Thames river. Did I say Mm -hmm. it right? Just big old poop river. Also, I just imagine a bunch of corn cobs floating down the (laughs) river. Probably. Well, and this is like a place where they would walk, but like people walk by it and Mm -hmm. it's beautiful and they would picnic by it. They're probably just tossing their corn cobs Mm -hmm. in the picnic or in the, in the river. They all thought the the bad smells is what caused diseases because they they knew that mm-hmm. bad smells are obviously disgusting. 
they were on the right tell, track. Right. Will you tell, science lady, will you tell us about this medical uh-huh. theory? So it was called the miasma theory. And like you said, they believed these smells uh, were what was actually causing the sickness. They also called it night air. And so, yeah, not necessarily the organisms that are in whatever's rotting or dying or poop or feces, but just the smell coming off with them hits you. And then, and, and then, then that's get, what causes, yeah. like, so if you smelled something bad, then mm-hmm. that's what was going to make you sick. Mm-hmm. Which you cholera, chlamydia, the black death, all caused yeah. by noxious smells. You know, the, um, the ring around the rosy pocket full of posies. Mm-hmm. It's about the black death. The pocket full of posies was a like pocket mm-hmm. full of flower petals that they would attach to their face to pre- yep. prevent them from smelling bad smells or the black the black mask yeah mask wait uh-huh. black death mask the yeah. bird mask they would put flowers the flower in, petals in the end of the beak and stuff but basically it would be like spraying your mask today with perfume mm-hmm. so that you're just all constantly smelling a good smell because they thought that's what prevented you from getting sick yep just gross mm-hmm. in order to pre- so they they knew disease was bad disease was prevalent so they had ways of attempting to prevent the spread of disease and of course they blamed it on the women on the women on the ladies so there was a popular theory that women were the cause of the spread of tuberculosis as we do um yep we like to spread that you know how i be you like, we like to spread that tb around mm-hmm. it was thought that their long skirts dragging on the floors what carried diseases and would bring it like from the streets into their home with their families which accurate you have to wear a gown in covid rooms because you can get on your clothes and like you know if you don't want to wear your a lot of people nowadays don't want to bring their shoes into their house they leave them Mm -hmm. outside Uh, they also thought corsets caused tuberculosis because they restricted the lungs i mean they're not great for you so you could get a doctor prescription basically for a looser corset and shorter skirts Mm -hmm. enter the crop top and the mini skirt there you go so and a little crap tap. A little crap tap in the skirt. <laughs> I'm thinking of, you know, the, the video of um, Lil Wayne re- reading Mean Tweets. And he said, Lil Wayne looks like a crab apple. <laughs> I don't know. But crop top Wayne. and crab apple. It was close. I don't know what a crab apple is. It's a corn cob. No. <laughs> <laughs> they could have used a crab apple. They could have. Mm-hmm. Next time. Victorians. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of what people did for fun back then, their leisure was interesting. Uh, we told you that they would often picnic by the Thames River, so we'll picnics by the Poop River. They mm-hmm. also like to picnic in cemeteries. That's where I would be. Uh, this tradition became so popular that they literally had to create like regulations and, and and enforce a limited amount of food and drinks that people could bring on the grounds. It was like a it became like a public park where they had to make rules. I wish this was still the case today. Yeah, you can't do this today. Now mm-hmm. you have public parks, but since they didn't have public parks back then, back then it left the cemetery as one of the only places that had grass mm-hmm. that they could like go sit. Sounds lovely. Now, if you do that, you're just you're weird. frowned upon. Yeah. So, so their their cemeteries actually looked like gardens, like they were made to look very nice. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where we get like putting flowers on graves from. Maybe it's part. Could be. It's, part it's part of that. Victorians also enjoyed attending freak shows. Uh, Barnum, think about the greatest showman. P.T. Barnum was the most successful at this. He, and even though, like, we talked about the class di- different differentiation, all people would come to these shows. Mm-hmm. I think it gave entertainment to the upper class, and I think it gave, like, 
I don't know. They were all equal at that point. Everybody wanted to see the, the quote-unquote freak shows. For family outings, if you weren't going to the freak show or you weren't picnicking in the garden, uh, lots of families liked visiting the morgues. Also, same. Me. Yeah, so Lacey, Lacey is our certified, like, um, you, she always looks up the autopsy reports for our stories, and, and she does stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I feel like you would enjoy this part. N- the newspapers would oftentimes describe unidentified cadavers and would, like, ask for help from the public to come identify them. So they'd mm-hmm. just pack up the whole family and go. All right. Death photography was also popular. We'll post some pictures on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. The they would like stage the bodies. They would prop them up. They would surround them by their families. They would make them kind of look alive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're looking at a family photo of these you death not, photography, you can't even pick out which one. No, I know. But then you is, like see a little pole sticking out of their leg, which they're propped up on. Yeah, I'm not gonna. No, mm-hmm. no thank you. They and they would uh, paint eyeballs on there. Yep. Yep. Eyelids. Mm-hmm. Just. I don't. I would love to know who did that first, and and it just took off. Right. They also in, communicated with spirits for fun. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of death because of disease and plagues and things like that. So a lot of families would want to try to communicate with people on the other side. They wanted to talk to their loved ones. They thought that so there's pe- people claimed to be mediums. They thought seances would work and. I will never do a seance, and I will never buy... I love the way a Ouija board looks on Halloween merchandise. Yeah, but like you're not going to play and one? Like pillows and stuff. I will not even... I will oh, not. yeah. We don't mess with that. I, we don't. And I know that's stupid, because it's literally... They have Ouija boards in the toy section. I won't do it. No. There's some stuff we just don't, don't dabble in. You just wait until our Conjuring episode. I was just thinking the same thing. We're not doing we it. We don't do... We and that And you just listen, and mm-hmm. you'll know why we don't dabble. Tell you a little bit about what they ate. So we told you what they did and what they didn't do. They preferred drinking beer because it was safer than water back then, which I think a lot of people know that. Their water was usually contaminated. Mm-hmm. Again, With the poop. poop river. Yep. Yeah. Poop river. Poop water. The poop river. Poop water. Cereal became very popular during this time period. Uh, Mr. John Kellogg himself created cornflakes to, quote, curb sexual impulses. Yeah. You just look at a cornflake and you think, mm flaccid i don't know i guess <laughs> uh the english didn't really like cereal as much as americans did though they they liked their uh of porridge and oatmeal and gruel mm-hmm. again oliver twist can i have some more he had a little bowl of porridge mm-hmm. most victorians despite their class would eat meat at least once a week um obviously if you're rich you could afford better cuts of meat mm-hmm. uh, but every the butcher sold every part of the animal if you were poor you got the eyeballs yeah or the pancreas, yeah. or the whatever, uh, and it and it wasn't seemingly expensive. I don't know the currency rates back then, but you could buy an entire sheep's head for three pennies. What you know about? I that? would think that was not the most desirable part. Oh uh, yeah, I would assume not either. But again, mm-hmm. depending on who you were, three pennies was a lot, or three pennies was a little. Uh, alum or alum was a, a compound between aluminum and potassium. They used to make cheaper flowers appear whiter. So. Mm-hmm. They valued white bread. They, yeah, they love some white bread, uh, but you also could find the same ingredients in most washing detergents. Mm. So if you ate a lot of white bread, you were probably going to have a lot of GI problems and diarrhea. Tide Pod Challenge. <laughs> yeah, the Victorians started the Tide Pod Challenge. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, a leading home management authority of the day, a lady named Isabella Beaton, advised the addition of boric acid to slightly off milk. It would it was supposed to get rid of the sour taste and the sour smell. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to make this milk last longer. Her readers, again, she probably wrote some book about like the uses of milk. Mm-hmm. Some publication, but her readers were assured that this this very small addition wasn't of this acid wasn't going to harm anybody. But she was wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because boric acid, when consumed even in small amounts, which is what she had in the milk, caused digestive issues such as diarrhea, vomiting, severe cramps, and abdominal pain. And it all went into the poopy river. And all filtered into the poop river. Yep. So obviously children drink a lot of milk or they've mm-hmm. always been encouraged to drink a lot of milk. So that basically in a smaller person becomes poisonous. Mm-hmm. So if you're an adult, you're just having horrible bathroom issues. And if you're a kid, it could, could have potentially been deadly. I feel like if you're a child in this time, it's just like the Hunger it's Games. It's the like, worst. Yeah. You very low chance of survival. Yeah. Yeah. You were probably either orphaned or working in a poor house or dying of some mm. something not pleasant. Mm-hmm. So speaking of dying of something not pleasant, their life expectancy was... Low. Bleak. Meek. Yeah. No, not meek. Bleak Bleak. is what I was looking for. Yeah. In 1850, it was 40 for men and 42 for women. Come on, women. And by 1900, it was 45 for men and 50 for women. There you go. I forgot what it exactly is today. It's more than that. Yeah. 80s. Yeah. Like probably about double. Yeah. I'd say. Assuming you did live long enough to uh, enter the dating scene, uh, that was also interesting. Lots of rules. Lots of rules. Another Mm -hmm. publication for us. Uh, There was a book called The Young Lady's Friend. Uh Uh-huh. Written in 1837. And it it listed all these rules for, for women. One of the rules, men were instructed not to flirt with every woman they met. They were supposed to be dignified. Okay, I get that. uh, It tells ladies that accepting gifts from men could be dangerous. Uh, It, quote, says, Make it a general rule to never accept a present from a gentleman. Because you don't want to lead them on. You don't want to hurt their feelings. Right. I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, in public, a man should uh, should show constant attention to his woman, but not PDA. So Mm -hmm. that would be just be embarrassing. Right. PDA is embarrassing. No kissing. It really is. <laughs> um, only engaged couples could exchange gifts or kiss in public. Um, locks of hair was a popular gift back then. Mm-hmm. I just that like makes me kind of cringe a little bit. Yeah. A lady back then would never call on a gentleman first. Never. It was always the man's role. Men had more freedom in this area. They could call on women, um, but they were never supposed to call on a married woman unless... He had the permission of her husband. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see a scenario where that makes sense. There's really not one. Yeah. Victorian time period or today. Mm-hmm. However, chivalry was supposedly alive and well. There we uh, go. Men were expected to defend their ladies at all costs. Mm-hmm. They, they were expected to treat these women well. However, if the lady was the one to start an argument, the man is, was supposed to act as a mediator and beg for pardon on her behalf. Mm-hmm. Which feels a little interesting. 
Uh, if you have never met the person before and you ask them to dance, so say you're at a ball or I don't know what they a masquerade. If you're if you're at a picnic, a gala. if you're at a picnic at at the cemetery, uh-huh. and you uh, happen to ask want to ask someone to dance, um, it's not an invitation to for speaking to that person. No, so just moving could, your body. You could dance with them, but you couldn't speak to them. You mm-hmm. could only speak to them if the other person, or like if the hostess of the event has introduced you. Mm. I mean, that would be so awkward. Just I follow that rule to this day. You dance with people, but you won't talk to them? I sure do. Just give them that, you know, the eyebrow. <laughs> Y'all can't see Lacey, mm-hmm. but she's giving me the mm-hmm. the raised brows. You don't really have to say anything. Your your body does all the talking for you. Do, yep. Does all the talking mm-hmm. for you. And I like this last one because, okay, cause so some of those others are weird, but I do like this last one. While walking with a lady, the man is always supposed to leave her on the inner side of the pavement, so the one furthest away from the road. I think that one's sweet. David does that one with me. Yeah. If we See, ever are walking, he always puts me, like, he puts himself between me and the car. Yeah, because, you know, uh, uh, your horse and buggy could come by and splash poopy water. It's true. Uh, it could splash a corn cob into your path, and it, you could trip on it and fall and also that. die. Yep. So interesting what a world so i'm so thankful i didn't date back then but i'm also in today's time if i had to rely on those dating apps i would just listen however many years down the road somebody's gonna be doing a podcast on this time period Uh uh-huh and they're gonna be like listen to all these dating apps Mm -hmm. and all this weird stuff on the dating apps that you had to experience assuming you made it past dating and you had children Mm -hmm. you're Children, if you were poor, your children worked. They didn't go to school. Nope. Um, they were probably working in something horrible, like being in a fat, working in a factory line or um, crossing sweepers. That I they love would, the, I kind of like this. You want to tell us about? It? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the sweeps. They were called the crossing sweeps. sweepers, and so the streets, like we said, were super dirty, and so they would uh, rich people would pay these little crossing sweepers that would clear the way before the rich people walked the which, street, which were often kids. Yeah. So think about just like these snooty adults paying kids to mm-hmm. sweep the street for them, so they right, so they, they wouldn't it. get dirt on their clothes. Yep. Yeah. And that that's what we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not. Not the best time period. Not the best. I mean, I guess it if you was were the, the best t- of times. I, it was the, the worst, worst of times. times. It also, was the smelliest of times. I was yes. hoping you were going to join in on me, and you just looked oh. at me like, I didn't know where, I didn't know where you're going <laughs> with that. What other word but starts with smell? Yeah, lots of lots smashing, of un- unpleasant smells. Just, yeah. No, thank you. Just seems mm-hmm. like the... Uh, just such a, a, a gamble of a time. You well, you can barely stay alive. And, and you can barely walk outside with getting hit with a... And so, and your hobbies just got real dark. Yes. Well, I don't Cem- mind that. Cemetery picnics. Death, the hobbies, death obviously, photo, death sounds like shoots, what I'm about. More visits. Yep. Just an average spooky. day for me. Just, it's just spooky season all year round. Yeah. Well, we're going we're gonna to take a little breather. We mm-hmm. have a delicious snack break for you. And then on the other side of that, we're, you just wait. Because you know I got a true crime We've from the murder. Victorian period. Murder and but first, death. But first noodles. But first some noodles. <laughs> Who? 
doesn't love pasta? I thought you were gonna say who doesn't love nudes? Miracle noodles. Noodles. Miracle noodles. I was singing she, that, and Hannah started singing it. Uh, this snack break is brought to you by the lovely people at Miracle Noodles, because everybody I don't know anybody that doesn't like a good noodle. No, a good, we, we a love good pasta. Spaghetti. I love pasta. But, but it can get unhealthy pretty quick. It sure can, but not with Miracle Noodle. Miracle Noodle was kind enough to send us a variety of their products, which we were able to Cause try. Because they're, they're not just noodles. They're not just noodles. It's the best keto-friendly and low-carb pasta and rice alternative. They are vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, all-natural, non-GMO. There's a whole lot of... Uh, all, they have all the noodles. They have the ones that are pre-flavored. Tonight, Hannah and I had some of the pad thai. Which, and we were able to fix it in like... Oh, 90, 60 seconds. I was about to say yeah. 60 to 90 seconds. Yep. So they've, they've got options that you can like cook for a full-blown meal, but they've also got the quick and easy options. But it's, it's a healthy, quick, and easy. Like yes. David and I love... You know, we're not above some ramen. Mm-hmm. Which is horrible for you. Great. Uh, yes, I was good. <laughs> you said horrible, and I said, great. That's no, uh, salt. It's, it's Too hor- much salt. It's horrible for yeah. you. But this is like a super good alternative. Mm-hmm. Their whole mission is to give their customers peace of mind when it comes to food selection. Right. So you can still have the the noodles, the flavor, the quick and easy, but without They're all so the good for you. Stuff. None of the guilt. And people have been asking us, because we, we like uh, more sweet options sometimes yeah but they want our snack break options yeah some of our snack breaks are sweet and not great for you in terms of health benefits Mm -hmm. flavor wise yes right but we yeah we haven't had some more requests for some savory things yeah so other you know they have plain noodles you can add your own sauce but they also have the ready to eat ones that we tried tonight they had besides pad thai they also have um spaghetti just your classic spaghetti uh japanese curry they had a faux one uh just any any type of pasta that you like and it and it fits any diet that if you're if you're if you're focusing on a certain like area they've got paleo gluten-free vegan kosher low carb keto and organic we love variety. So there's a little bit, yeah. There, honestly, there's something for everybody at this at uh, Miracle Noodle. Uh-huh. And if you would like to try Miracle Noodle, you can go to miraclenoodle.com and you can use our code. What's our code? Our code is scary ten for ten mm-hmm. percent off of your order. Yeah. So go try them out and let us know how you liked it. Which you will. You will. We liked it. We did. We sure I want to take one for my lunch tomorrow. You okay? 60 seconds Mm -hmm. done done head over to miraclenoodle.com and we'll see you in a second welcome back it's time Hannah said you know who who loved (laughs) some noodles I said you know who needed some miracle noodles you know who needed a miracle? The Victorians during this man's reign. Because today we're going to talk about one of the most prolific, infamous, legendary serial killers of all time. But he just so happened to be in the Victorian period. And that is your buddy Jack. Jack, Jack the, Ripper. the Ripper. Yes, ma'am. Now, if you're looking for a very deep dive on Jack the Ripper. It's impossible. Well, for the Scary Tales, a Scary Tales oh. length episode, it's impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. They have a whole website where you can 
it would take you There's a week to read quite it. Quite the rabbit hole. So we're going to give you the scary tales version. We're going to we're going to hit you with the the most important facts. And if you are more interested, you can deep dive on your own. Yes, you can. So are you ready? We're ready. Jack the Ripper. He terrorized the streets of London in 1888. And he, like we said, would go on to become one of the world's most infamous serial killers. In the late 1800s, London's East Side, which specifically an area called Whitechapel, was known for being kind of the the rougher side of town. And it was a place where many Russian and Jewish immigrants would come to start their new life and businesses. But it was also known to be heavily laden with crime and violence. So, prostitution at the time was only illegal if it caused a public disturbance which they were like they were like your business is your business as long as you keep it indoors (laughs) as long as you don't run out doesn't bother people we're fine Mm -hmm. for this reason uh brothels were very popular at providing sexual services and unfortunately crimes against these sex workers were not taken seriously which same thing today i was just thinking that yeah yeah um these quote-unquote ladies of the night were often victims of physical assault which led to their death and as we see with jack the ripper um most of his victims were ladies of the night he took advantage Mm -hmm. of that whole realm another common theme that we'll see throughout this story just setting you up here people often lived in what were called lodging houses in this area and the environment of these type houses were described as quote-unquote lawless and were run by criminals. So the environment was very poor, so poor, in fact, that Queen Victoria asked to close the lodging houses down. And uh, three of Jack the Ripper's victims actually had, at one or time, one time or another, lived in these lodging houses. So, so it, Yeah, it makes me think of like those like hostels where... Yeah. Some of them really nice. Some of them really shady. Mm-hmm. Or that just like, you know, that motel on the way yeah. to Harpersville? You know which one I'm talking I about? Think yeah. I know exactly which uh-huh. one I'm talking about. Yeah. So one of the first problems that you encounter when you attempt to write a history of Jack the Ripper or summarize a podcast uh, on Jack the Ripper is just how many of the Whitechapel murders were in fact carried out by Jack the Ripper because there were 11 women murdered around this time in Whitechapel, but today we are going to be talking about five women, and they're known as the canonical five. It's the most five famous victims that they're pretty sure were all performed by the same person. The rest of them could have been, could not have been. Which, and they've never, like, concretely proven yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, because to this day, nobody knows who Jack the Ripper who is. Jack? We'll give you some ideas. Mm-hmm, we will. But let's talk about our first victim, First victim, her name was Mary, also known as Polly, so Polly Ann Nichols, and she was born Mary Ann Walker on August 26, 1845. She got married at 18 and would eventually have children with her husband, but she found out that he was having an affair, um, which kind of threw her into this depression, and she started drinking. Um, You know, a a lot of times you start drinking, everything else in life kind of goes downhill with it, so she found herself homeless and um she would go on to live in these these lodging houses as it were on the 24th of august 1888 mary went to live at a mid uh, mixed sex common lodging house known as the white house which was situated at 56 flower and dean street in spittlesfield what a word spittlesfield here she would spend her last 
birthday, which was her 43rd birthday, on Sunday, the August the 26th, 1888. It was never established how she spent the next four days, which would be the last few days of her life, but uh, we'll, we'll go over what we do know. So, the day she went missing, Mary had been turned away from her lodging house because she was unable to afford rent. And with the intent to make money via prostitution, Mary, you know, she, she kind of, what is like, grabbed life by the bootstraps, except she didn't grab her bootstraps. She grabbed her, her bonnet. Her bonnet. And she put on a brand new bonnet and she told the lodging keeper, quote, I'll soon get my DOS money. See what a jolly bonnet I've got now? And then she headed out to work. So I guess back then, you, you, uh, a I guess pretty bonnet's kind of the equivalent to like that's what a, got the the men. I guess so. It's kind of the equivalent of like bonnet. a red lipstick or so. like a nice high heeled shoe or whatever men not are sure attracted that, to. I don't know. <laughs> not, not sure how that would go over today. Um, at two thirty a.m., Mary's acquaintance, she had a friend named Emily Holland, noticed that Mary was stumbling home from a night out making her money. And she told Mary to come back to the lodging house with her and that she would pay for her rent, but Mary refused and stumbled on into the night. Which I imagine was not uncommon for people with her. Like, no. if, if, I'm sure people knew she had They're like, oh, there she, some there she goes. Old Mary. So that, there they, she that goes wouldn't again. have, like, surprised them, mm-hmm. I guess. But this would be the last time that anyone saw Mary. And at 3.30 a.m. on August 31st, 1888, a man by the name of Charles Cross left his home to walk to work, which, pff, just count me out. If I have to go to work at 3.30 in the morning, we're just... No, absolutely not. No. Walk to work, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he was walking to work when he noticed a dark bundle lying in the gateway on the opposite... In a gateway on the opposite side of the street. The street in this area had very poor lighting. So, at first, he couldn't really... Uh, he didn't he really know at. what he was looking at, right? He thought it was some kind of tarp at first. And, I guess, for whatever reason, he thought oh, I could use this tarp at my, my job because I'm whatever. Resourceful. Mm-hmm. So he went over to inspect it, and as he got closer, he realized that the object laying there was a woman. So his friend, Robert Paul, heard the commotion, and Charles called him over to look at what he had found. And there they saw a woman lying on her back. Her legs were straight out, and her skirt was raised over her waist. And they felt to see if she was alive, and one of them thought that her chest might be moving and that she was barely alive, if even that. So deciding that they were late for work already at 3.30 in the morning, you have to be late for work at 3.30 a.m., they said, we've done all we could do, and they pulled her skirt back down to cover her up. At least we're going to be cordial here. Uh, manners. And then they headed to work where they agreed to tell the first policeman they found. Yeah. Cause they can't just like whip out their cell phone and call somebody. So mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I didn't know we'll which, just... I didn't know what you were whipping out. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I mean, imagine being like, wow, I, I've witnessed something horrible. Mm-hmm. I'll just have to find a policeman mm-hmm. at some point. Whenever I come across whenever, one, whenever I see one, what they were unable to see in the dark was that this woman's throat had been slit so severely that she was almost decapitated. So Dr. Llewellyn, um, the medical examiner, he arrived at around 4 a.m. and carried out uh, an examination on the body and noted the severity of the wounds to the throat, and he pronounced that life was extinct. So on closer examination, he also saw that that Mary's body and legs were still warm, 
So that indicates that this happened recently. Recently, I mean, the guy that first found her, he could have she probably was barely alive. missed. Yeah. yeah. Um, although her hands and her wrist were quite cold, but that makes sense to me because those are more distal from mm-hmm. your heart. So this led him to surmise that she could not have been dead for more than half an hour. In fact, this observation by the doctor suggests that the murderer, like I said, could have been on the scene when Charles Cross came up and discovered her. Yeah, like he could have just gotten away. So the doctor then ordered that the body be taken to the morgue for further examination. And when they went to transport the body, they also noted that the back of the of Mary's clothing was soaked with blood, and there was also a mass of congealed blood under the body, measuring six inches in diameter. Um, what's strange about this is that's a relatively small amount of blood for having your, you know, almost being decapitated. Yeah. That uh, combined with the fact that no one in the vicinity had heard anyone screaming, it kind of led them to believe that the Mary had been murdered somewhere else oh, and then and just dumped and, and then brought to the scene. Street. Mm-hmm. During the autopsy, it was also discovered that, that Mary had been disemboweled. So <laughs> everything pulled Take right out. out. Mm-hmm. The first problem to confront the police as they went into their investigation on the murder was identifying the victim. And the body was, so this is how they would do that back then they would take pictures of the body and then they would release the picture to the public or um, they would distribute it amongst the police officers and they would go around and be like, have you seen this person? I was about to say, I wonder if she was also one that, that people would have gone to the morgue to look at. Mm-hmm. Like they, like that, you know, how they took the families. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she was one of those. Right. Meanwhile, inspectors noticed that the skirt of the petticoat and the band of another article of clothing that Mary was wearing both had a stencil stamp of the Lambeth Workhouse on there. And they went to that workhouse. Uh, they found a woman by the name of Marianne Monk, who was an ex-co-worker of Marianne Nichols. And she was able to identify the body as that of Marianne Nichols. So that is our first victim. How do you feel and about I'm- that? Well, I'm sure with the first one, they probably didn't think much in terms of, okay, like that, like this was not a serial killer yet. Mm-hmm. This was a one-off tragic accident. Right. The more of these that happen, the more freaked out they're going to get. Yep. So next enters Annie Chapman. She, her death was on September 8th. Annie was 47 years old at the time of her death in 1888. And in the months leading up to her death, she was living at Crossingham's Lodging House at number 35 Dorset Street, where she only paid eight pence a night for a double bed. Annie, she appeared to have enjoyed a cordial relationship with the other tenants at this lodging house, including the deputy keeper, Timothy Donovan, who remembered her as being a, quote, inoffensive soul, whose main weakness was a fondness for drink. Just put that on... A tombstone. Oh, on your, on, yeah, on your tombstone. Yeah. Inoffensive soul. Mm-hmm. Like many of the women in the area, Annie, she um, would supplement her meager income with prostitution. And she had two regular clients. One was known as Harry the Hawker, and the other man was known as Ted, name, who, whose name was Ted Stanley. He was also known as the pensioner. Horrible nickname. Yeah. Horrible names. Mm-hmm. Would not recommend these being... Your clients. Wouldn't recommend you having... Any clients. Yeah, correct. For that matter. Right. 
Before her death, Annie had gotten into a physical fight with a woman named Eliza Cooper over a borrowed piece of soap, because we all know back then... They didn't have a whole lot. They didn't have a whole lot, so I could see... It was either that or... Mm -hmm. You got to fight for that soap. Right. Mm -hmm. It was either that or a corn cob. (laughs) Her last days were spent bruised and in pain from being in this fight with Eliza. And a little before 6 a.m. on the morning of her death, a man by the name of John Davis, who was an elderly resident at near this lodging house, he walked downstairs and into kind of the back yard area of this lodging house. And that is where he found the body of mutilated Annie Chapman. And he yelled for two other men nearby. They found her, her head was turned towards the house and her clothes had been tugged up above her waist, exposing her red and white striped stockings. A handkerchief was tied around her throat. And at at first there was a rumor going around that this was tied around her throat to keep her, her head from, yeah. Mm -hmm. Her face and hands were covered in blood and her hands were raised and bent with the palms towards the upper portion of her body. Kind of like this. Like she was like defending herself. Giving the impression or yeah, or giving the impression that she reached for her throat to stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. And that's where she died. And then rigor mortis set in. That's sad. She like our other friend had also been disemboweled and her entrails were lifted out of the body and placed on her shoulder. That, that reminds me of, do your ears hang low and low? Yeah. Can you throw them over your shoulder like a continental yeah. soldier, do you? tails hang over your shoulder. <laughs> After a few moments of silence, the three men sprang into action and racing out of the house, they set off in different directions to find a policeman. At least they went like at least right that, then. Yeah. And the first guys were like, well, well, if we see a cop on our way to work, we we'll, can. we'll say yeah. something. But at least these guys set out mm-hmm. looking for one. Dr. George Phillips performed the autopsy. And during the autopsy, they discovered that Annie's womb had been cut out. Sorry for saying that. I mean, oh, Hannah's just you. sitting over yeah. there pregnant. That's fine. He summarized that the cuts had been made with a long blade and that the person who did this was familiar with anatomy, which will go on to be a common theme. Yeah. All right, so now we have some some interesting letters that appear. Right, because at this point you've got two murders and mm-hmm. you've got similar a similar thread between them. So people are starting to make a connection that something's something's going on, mm-hmm. and the story's being sensationalized. Like all the newspapers are reporting it. Uh huh. It was hot off the press. So and, and then they get an interesting letter. Yeah. So the Central News Agency. They would receive one of the first of many letters on September 27th, 1888. And I'm going to let Hannah read it, but please do it in your creepiest voice. I don't know if I have one. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just try to do it normal. Okay. Dear, that might make it creepier. Uh, it might. Mm-hmm. Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when, when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. They joke about leather ape that joke about leather apron gave me real fits i am on whores and i shan't quit ripping them till i do get buckled grand work the last job was i gave the lady no time to squeal how can they catch me now i love my work and want to start again you will soon hear of me with my funny little games i save some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send them 
send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get the chance. Good luck, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. And then there's like a PS at the end. Don't mind giving the trade name. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. Mm. A lot to unpack there. One thing that yeah. stood out to me was if you had medical knowledge, you would know that blood congeals, congeals after a while. Yeah, the yeah. red stuff. He talks about the red stuff and then the mm-hmm. red ink. Right. So he's trying to like save blood and write with it. Mm-hmm. So, so we get also, that. Also, his grammar's not great. Also That's reminds me of the I've... Uncle Sam yeah, letters. It reminds, yeah. All right. So we got that. That was a little uh, re- so intermission. Got some, some murders and some letters. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about Elizabeth Stride, or she was known as Long Liz. She spent the last afternoon of her life cleaning rooms in the lodging house at number 32 Flower in Dean Street, where she had lived on and off for the previous six years. The most important witness to have seen Elizabeth this day, and 30 minutes before her body was discovered, was a Hungarian Jew by the name of Israel Schwartz. So as Schwartz watched... There was a man that he saw pull a woman into the street and then spun her around, threw her onto the footway, where this woman screamed three times, and Israel thought that this was just a domestic attack, and so he crossed the road to avoid getting involved. I thought we said chivalry yes, was, was still yeah, alive and well. Seriously, Israel. So there goes Israel. He he passed him on by. But at 1 a.m., Louis Diemschutz, he was riding on his horse, when his horse stopped and refused to go any further, and looking closer, he saw a dark form lying close to the ground, and it was le- it was kind of close to this club. I don't know what classified as a club back then, but and leaning forward, he prodded it with his whip and tried to lift it. And when this proved unsuccessful, he jumped down to investigate and struck a match to get a better view of it, and. His match was only lit for a second because it was windy, but within that second, he saw a woman lying on the ground. And at first, for whatever reason, he thought that this might be his wife. <laughs> so, go, go get your girl. He went into the club by the side entrance, and finding his wife safe, he told several club members, Hey, there's a woman lying in the yard, but I cannot say whether she is drunk or dead. Uh, you know, we've it's all been also- there. Um, <laughs> Taking a candle, he returned to the yard with several other club members, and he noticed that there was blood by the body. So we're going to go with dead on this one. But honestly, still drunk or dead. Yeah, I guess it could. We've all been there. And uh, so they find that this woman's throat had been cut. And because blood was still pouring from her neck, it was surmised that the killer had been disturbed during the killing and ran off. He didn't get to... Uh, to finish finish because there were also no other mutilations which seems like he was in the middle of killing her and got spooked and ran off so that same night uh, Catherine Eddowes was found slain just a few minutes walk from where Elizabeth Elizabeth's body was found Oh, so since he didn't get to finish Mm -hmm. Carrie which she did die right yeah the other girl that girl did die Mm -hmm. because her throat was slit even though all the other stuff wasn't done Mm -hmm. but he had to had to do the whole the whole process right 
Catherine's body had been ripped open and her throat was slashed. Both of her eyelids had been cut and part of her nose and right ear were cut. Her uterus and left kidney were removed and her entrails were thrown over the right shoulder. So a trail of blood led the police to a doorway nearby where a message had been chalked and it said, quote, the Jews are not the men to be blamed for nothing. So questionable. I don't even know what that is. I don't either. It's a double negative Mm -hmm. not to be blamed for nothing. So they are to be blamed for everything. I don't know. But for some inexplicable reason, the head of the metropolitan, what is that word? Metropolitan. Metropolitan. (laughs) I was thinking metropolis. The head of the Metropolitan Police, Sir Charles Warren, had ordered it to be rubbed out. And I think at this, I think he did that because there was a lot of uh, people. There were immigrants that lived in this area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, including the but also evidence. Juice. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I guess it's not like they like could, they didn't think to photograph it in handwriting mm-hmm. analysis and all that yeah. stuff. I think they were also kind of worried that this could start a race war, and oh, they true. didn't want that happening. So he had now murdered twice in less than an hour. So we're getting more brave. And what they thought was interesting is that the area would have been full of police officers because you know the first murder that happened. And, you know, intent on hunting him down, but no one found him. Also, the way that he headed from the first murder to the second murder was further into that area instead instead of of escaping. So this makes them think that whoever the killer is, he lives in this area because he was just on his way home and he had another opportunity. Yep. Right. This is the first time that Jack leaves his first clue. And the police noticed that part of Catherine's apron was missing. And this missing seg- segment of the apron was found by this man, Alfred Long, as he patrolled his, uh, what do you say? His beat. Like his area. His beat. Yeah, his beat. Oh, I like how you did that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Police my wife. I know the lingo. Yeah. Walking past the doorway of this home on Goulston Street. Fitting name. It led to the staircases of 108 and 119 Wentworth model dwellings. He noticed a portion of the apron lying on the floor inside the doorway, and on closer inspection, he discovered that it was covered with blood and feces. Feces, not you would think, that's an everyday occurrence around here. Blood, you'd be like, "Mm." right? right. Um, Yeah, yeah. So he also noticed some other marks, which suggested that the blade of the knife knife had been wiped on it. So. Um, I didn't say I didn't see anything where this led to any conclusion, but they think that this was, you know. But again, it led them into the city rather than out of Mm -hmm. the city. Like it led them to more dwelling places rather than like him escaping and running away. So then another letter arrives on October 1st and he sent another letter to the central news office. Hannah, go ahead. Here we go. I was not cotting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jack's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit. Couldn't finish straight off. Had not got time to get the ears off for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Dash Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. So he names himself. And then there's another famous letter from this time. It was on October 16th. And it was sent to there at the time. There was this vigilant vigilante community or committee that you know. Yeah, because everybody wants to stop a serial mm-hmm. killer from cutting out women's insides. There you go. Um, the head of this committee, his name was George Lusk, and this letter was addressed to him. And the letter came also with just a piece of kidney, and it read, "It re- reads from hell, Mister Lusk." 
sore, S-O-R. Mm-hmm. Horrible I, spelling. Yeah. I send you half the kidney. I took from one woman, preserved it for you. <laughs> it's hard to read because this spelling This one's so worse bad. than the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Preserved for you, toddler piece. I fried it and ate it. It was very nice. <laughs> I may turn into Russian. I may send very nice. (laughs) That's what it says. It was very nice. Uh, I may send you the bloody knife that took it out. If only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mister Lusk. I just read that entire passage in the mind of um, Borat. Well, the the spelling is bad. I mean, mm-hmm. I could barely read it because of the spelling. But it, it almost, it seems different than the others. Right. And it was because they investigated this. And this was a prank from a medical student. Uh, which well, then that makes sense. I'd be concerned about this medical student's yeah. education with that spelling. But Well, I bet he was trying to pretend like he was uned. Like, mm-hmm. I bet he tried to spell all of these could things be. wrong. Could be. All right. So that comes... That brings us to our fifth victim, Mary Jane Kelly, or the the you know the last canonical the, victim. The famous. Five. She was twenty five years old, and she that made her the Ripper's youngest victim. And unlike the rest, she was killed in her home rather on, than on the street. And for eight months prior to her death, she had been renting a room in one of these lodging houses. Until two weeks before the murder, she had been living there with an unemployed fish porter named Joseph Barnett. You'll want to remember that name. His lack of earnings made Mary turn to prostitution, which it didn't say that they were married or a couple. So it's like, why why are you like freeloading off this woman? Anyway, so this led to arguments between them. And during one particularly heated argument, apparently when Mary was tipsy, a pane of glass in this window in their apartment um, had been broken, and the, they stuffed the window with newspaper and rags and covered it with an old coat. So then, in late October, Mary invited a homeless prostitute named Julia to stay with them, and this, that was just the, I almost said, that was just the needle in the haystack. That's not what not, I'm looking not for. the right idiom. That was the, I'm horrible Straw at idioms, that, that broke, broke the camel's back. back. Thank you. Um, so that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Joe Barnett. He decided enough was enough and moved out. I guess he was tired of just not working all day and sitting around and just relaxing and I guess so. couldn't handle it. But according to some, they, him and Mary, they remained friendly and, um, he would go on later to be the, pretty much the last one to see her and he would visit her the night of her death. So. In his inquest testimony, Barnett stated that he, quote, last saw her alive between 7.30 and 7.45 the night of Thursday before she was found. I was with her about one hour. And at around 4 a.m. on the morning of the 9th of November, two neighbors claimed that they heard a faint cry of, oh, murder. That's how I read that. I also can't picture (laughs) that I'm being murdered and I'm going to say, oh, "Oh, murder. murder. I don't know. That it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But cries of murder were quite f- common back then I was say, because there were lots of drunk people, lots of drunk brawls, lots of domestic violence, everything. It was a wild I bet time. I, I can see like some some drunk ladies in a domestic situation screaming murder oh, to try to get their their significant other to like back off. Right. Oh, he's killing me. He's mm-hmm. killing me. When he's really yeah. At 10.45 a.m. that morning, Mary Kelly's landlord, John McCarthy, sent his assistant, Thomas Bauer, 
Bowyer around to 13 Miller's Court to collect her overdue rent. So he goes up, this assistant, and he uh, peers inside. And after he sees that, he runs and gets the, what's he called? The landlord. And the landlord returns. And they're both sitting there staring at an unimaginable horror. Um, because the wall behind the bed was splattered with blood. Mm-hmm. On the bedside table was a pile of bloody human flesh. And there, lying on the bed, barely recognizable as a human, lay the, for all intents and purposes, skinned down cadaver of Mary Kelly. And they rushed to alert the police. So her autopsy found, um, they found her body lying naked in the middle of the bed. I don't know if that meant naked, no clothes, or naked, no skin. Um, The abdominal cavity was missing its organs. Her breasts were removed. Her arms were mutilated. Her face was, quote, hacked beyond recognition. The tissues of her neck had been cut down to the bone. The uterus, kidney, and one breast were found under her head, while the other breast was next to her right foot. The liver was between her feet, the intestines on the right side of her body, and the spleen to the left. There were flaps from her abdomen and thighs were lying on the bedside table. Her eyebrows and ears were partly removed. And according to doctors, this type of mutilation would have taken two hours. There's like gag reflex during that description thank you oh, you're welcome well i feel like this was an es- escalation because it happened mm-hmm. inside her home which means he had more time to do all the things he probably would have done to the other people mm-hmm. had he had the time right and had he not had any interruptions mm-hmm. so now we're moving on to the suspect which there were a lot there were a lot so we we cut him down to to i don't know if favorites the right word but the ones yeah. that i think are the most interesting so the number of suspects Suspects now runs well over 100. We can we don't have time to cover those all. It's already and and they've they just keep I feel like they just keep adding suspects to this mm-hmm. list. They do. In the early days, the police thought that these crimes were carried out by gangs. One uh, they specifically called these the hip rip gangs. However, by early September 1888, the police had come to the conclusion that. Uh, local games, if the local games were responsible, you know, they like to talk, word would get Somebody out. Somebody would have yeah. spilled or mm-hmm. ratted, which made them think it was just one yep. person because it's still a huge secret. Mm-hmm. There was a great amount of speculation that the killer demonstrated some type of medical and or anatomical knowledge. And so the police started looking into activities of several medical students who had spent time in asylums, which... Okay, that's a good place yeah, to that's start. That's not a bad thought. However, others disagreed with this and stated that these murders didn't require any medical skill, that a butcher or you know something like that could have performed these, which I agree. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, it's not... I don't think you'd have to be a doctor to cut somebody open and pull their stuff no. out. No. Yeah. Uh, throughout the hunt for Jack the Ripper, police remained convinced that they were looking for a suspect who was living in the area. So that's where they focused their investigation. They performed over 2,000 interviews, and um, more than 300 people were actually investigated, and 80 people were detained in police custody. So they they, they did a lot of work. Yeah, they dwindled it down a little mm-hmm. bit, but still. And their basic summary by eyewitness testimony was that Jack the Ripper was between 25 to 35 years old, roughly 5'5 to 5'7, stocky with fair complexion and a mustache, and seen wearing a dark overcoat and dark hat i feel like mustache and those clothing it was everybody i was just about to say Mm -hmm. he basically was the like basic white male of this time period right so good luck yeah 
So I didn't know this until I started researching this. Jack the Ripper also can be known as Leather Apron. And that's because at this time, police inquiries amongst the local prostitutes turned up a potential suspect in the form of a very sinister character whom the local prostitutes nicknamed Leather Apron. And he was known to bully prostitutes, whatever that means. <laughs> um, John Pizer was a suspect in this investigation for this leather apron person because he was a Polish boot finisher who was known to wear a leather apron even when he wasn't at work. Ew. It was just, he liked his look. Mm. Yeah, aprons are, you can stick stuff in the pockets, yeah. you protect your clothes. Practical, but... Creepy. So while John accepted that he had worn a leather apron home from work, he in fact had, had not done so for some time because he had recently been out of work. And Pizer also had an alibi and was eventually ruled out. But you will hear this leather apron thing come up if you research Jack the Ripper, so I thought I would include it. The next suspect is my favorite. It's absolute poppycock, but it's my favorite. It's great use of the word poppycock. You're welcome. And that is of... Lewis Carroll. Yeah. Also known as Charles Dodgson. Yes, Alice in Wonderland yes. author. If you didn't listen to our Alice in Wonderland episode, we explain and he's, lots he, about him. He was a weird man. He was weird, so, but not this weird. Right. This, this, this is ridiculous. Yeah, this theory was popularized by author Richard Wallace, who pu first published his theory in a book called Jack the Ripper, Lighthearted Friend. And it theorized that Le Lewis Carroll and his colleague Thomas Vare were responsible for these Whitechapel murders. And again, he, Alice in Wonderland is bananas. It's but this is too much. Um, basically, this only belief is that he, he would take any Lewis Carroll writings, even ones from Alice in Wonderland, and uh, he would use these anagrams. So he would basically take a sentence and rearrange, rearrange the it. words. Right. Um, so supposedly, after you know deciphering one of these anagrams from a passage from one of Lewis Carroll's books, he said that it read, If I find one street whore, you'll know what will happen. She'll be off with her head. You could literally make any sentence say anything. Yes. Mm -hmm. In the same book, Carol offers what appears to be a throwaway passage about a dog declining a dinner. Um, quote, so we went to cook and we got her to make a saucer full of nice oatmeal porridge. And then we called Dash into the house and we said, now Dash, you're going to have your birthday treat. And we expected Dash would jump for joy, but it didn't one bit. And then this author turned that into... Oh, we, Thomas Bain, Charles Dodson, coited into the slain, nude body, expected to taste, devour, enjoy a nice meal of dead whore's uterus. We made do, found it awful, wan and tough like a worn, dirty goat hog. We both threw it out. Um, Jack the Ripper. That, that would take you so long mm -hmm. to translate. Yes. Mm -hmm. no, I, I don't buy it. But there's more, Hannah. Oh, great. Because Carol's mother was said to have had a very large nose, which Carol must have envisioned when the Ripper was mutilating the noses of... Well, he only oh, did that to two of noses. his victims. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. And his personal library contained more than 120 books on medicine, anatomy, and health, providing him with the education one would need to cut open these people. Which, which he was a he very was a, educated... Yeah, he was an intellectual called, yeah, person. Right. Um, I also have Every, several of those books. I was just books. about to say, right. we're going to start saying that everybody who has a medical book on their bookshelf is... Apparently. ...is able to chop people up. Yep. 
Geographically, Carroll was within public transport's distance from the home, from his home to the murder sites. And the fact that the Ripper's letters to newspapers didn't appear to be handwriting match when compared to Carroll's diary entries, uh, this didn't dissuade this author of this theory. Um, perhaps his close friend Bain could have written them on his behalf. Right, because Carol was an author, so mm-hmm. these letters that were written to the police were gr- grammatically horrible mm-hmm. and don't match his writing at all. Right, which could have been th- trying to throw them Poppycock, as you called it poppycock. earlier. Poppycock. Complete poppycock. This next theory I like, and that is the theory of Jill the Ripper. Just the theory that the... Murders were carried out by a, a woman. A woman. Mm-hmm. Midwives would have anatomical knowledge, and no one would think anything about seeing a midwife covered in blood running down the street. Right, or cause running, because... She's running to gotta, yeah. deliver a baby. People theorized that a midwife would know how to render a person unconscious because it was a common practice for midwives to knock their patient out by pressing on certain pressure points. So you wouldn't be able to hear anybody scream mm-hmm. because... I don't know. Mm-hmm. But... All eyewitness testimonies point to a man. Okay, which, yes. Mm-hmm. But also, if the picture that you have in the notes person is... looks like a man. Jill the Ripper, the then I could... Yeah, then I could see... It's a very masculine-looking female. Yes. So, and all these took place at night. So, mm-hmm. I, I could see how somebody... True. So, how somebody could have mistaken that. True. Less poppycock than Lewis Carroll. There we go. Okay, well, the next one is that Prince Albert Christian Victor Edward, he was the murderer, and uh, this is the son of Queen Victoria. The royal conspiracy, Mm -hmm. as this one's called. He was known to frequent the areas where the victims were found uh, in the activity that led him to contracting syphilis, which eventually... Wonder what he was doing. Which uh, Syphilis, you know, if it goes to your brain, it can make you go mad, and this could possibly lead him to murder these people. So they're saying that the son of Queen Victoria Mm -hmm. slept with people, contracted syphilis, went mad, and then mm-hmm. turned around and started mm-hmm. killing prostitutes. Yep. Okay. Some said that he can even could have had a baby by a local woman, and Queen Victoria did not like this in order that everyone who knew of the child to be, quote-unquote, taken care of. And royal oh, aides, so. in theory, could have assisted in covering this up. Listen, people love a royal conspiracy. They do. I, we still won't talk, I won't talk about Princess Diana. But that's, I, I mean... Because I don't want them to come get me. I, I feel like most people, like, don't believe this one. I feel like there just always has to be... A royal conspiracy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to be during this time period. Right. This theory is mostly considered rubbish because there is proof that he was not in London at the time of the murder. So there you go. Wah, yeah, wah. I don't. I don't really buy that one as much. All right. What you know about Walter Sickert? I don't. Well, he was a famous painter, and he was written about by Patricia Cornwell in her novel Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper. Case closed. Confident, Patricia. This woman in 2001 spent two million pounds on buying all of Sickert's paintings, letters, and writing desk, and she went even she just national treasured that and went (laughs) and cut up all of the paintings to look for clues. Found nothing. I found nothing. Okay, wasted all of her money. She wrote about how Sickert was obsessed with Jack the Ripper. Which was true. He okay. even titled one of his paintings Jack the Ripper's Bedroom. But, like, what else are you going to write about back then? Like, these people were obsessed with death. Right, right. Cornwell claims that one painting mirrored the body image of Mary Kelly, while another mimicked the facial wounds of Catherine Eddowes. 
There were also accounts of Sickert dressing up as Jack the Ripper, just cosplaying, just LARPing <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Victorian cosplay. But also, how do you, like, cosplay? He just was a man in a coat with a with mustache. A top hat. Yeah. Like, like everybody else on the mm-hmm. streets of Victorian age. According to Cornwell's theory, Walter Sickert had been made um, impotent by a series of painful childhood operations for a fistula of the penis. I don't even want to know. Okay. Well, this had scarred him, her theory was, scarred him emotionally and left him with a pathological hatred of women, which in time led him to carry out all of these murders. However, doubts were raised about this theory when it was pointed out that St. Mark's Hospital, which is where he had the operation, uh, they specialized in rectal fistulas and not genital fistulas. So, so there you go. So so it's mm-hmm. not the prostitute's fault. Right. In her quest to prove Sickert's guilt, Cornwall also funded DNA tests on numerous stamps and envelopes, which she believed that Sickert had licked and compared that to the DNA found on the Ripper letters. And interestingly, a possible match was found with the stamp on the Dr. Openshaw letter, um, which was one of the letters you read earlier. However, critics pointed out that DNA comparisons focused on mitochondrial DNA, which could be shared by anything between 1 and 10% of the population. I was about to say, I thought DNA was one of those things yeah, where it's so like, it rules, it, it, it narrows was, the pool down, but not that mm-hmm. far it, it, to one person. Yeah, it was not unique to him. Another interesting find was that the Dr. Openshaw letter and two other Jack the Ripper letters, they had all been written on a certain type of paper that uh, bore the watermark of the Aberdeen paper manufacturer. And because they were the same type paper, they that, thought. That Walter Secret yeah. used? Okay. Mm-hmm. Again. Yeah, probably not a lot of paper. You don't got a bunch of Dunder Mifflin and an Office Max and no, a Staples going no. on. You probably have one paper company. And it wasn't toilet paper. Yeah. Was it, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> she just looked at me. And, yeah. No, mm-hmm. it wasn't. Okay, Joseph Barnett. This is the guy, the freeloader on on the last victim that was living with her, Mary Kelly. He was known as working for a fish porter, which someone who would have crude anatomical knowledge, uh, I guess, of a fish. And, he, and with but- butchering, yeah, if butchering you've ever things. seen somebody, I don't know what it's called, flaying mm-hmm. a fish or whatever, I mean, there's some knife skill there. Yeah. Some cutting skills. And it was believed that he was actually in love with Mary Kelly. In a newspaper dated November 10th, 1888, Barnett was quoted as calling Mary his quote-unquote wife, even though they were just roommates, so that that's creepy. He disagreed with Mary's life as a prostitute, and some believe that he committed the first murders to scare Mary to staying off the streets. But, however, when he lost his job, Mary didn't have a choice. She had to return to work. And their financial struggles led to frequent fights, and he didn't like the fact that Mary drank so much. And so, in theory, in one of their last fights, uh, he even broke a window and then moved out. And then what would you know? Ten days later, Mary Kelly was dead. Yeah, the time the timing is interesting. It's not looking great for Joseph. Yeah. As a friend of Kelly's, he would have known other prostitutes and could have easily earned their trust and gotten close to them before he yeah. slit their throats. He also fit the description of Jack the Ripper and some of his friends. Uh, would his nickname was apparently Jack, which is creepy. Joseph it's not looking Jack, good for Joseph. Yeah. And the murder stopped after Mary Kelly's murder. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
Ginger beer bottles were found in 13 Miller's court by police. And remember oh, and the, letter. the letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the letter. Save some read. of the proper red stuff in a ginger bottle for you. Was that, that, that was written in the letter. The mystery of Kelly's locked door, it was locked when the police arrived, indicating that the killer had a, either had a key or reached through the window to lock it after he had left the scene, could be explained either by Barnett's possessing a key or his knowledge of the geography of the room. After the murder, Barnett was questioned for four hours, but ultimately let free. He sounds, he sounds the most suspect to me. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. He had a relationship with some of the victims. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But... This last suspect we're going to go over, he is the, uh, the from what pop- I saw, most po- popular. popular. There's just a lot of interesting things. I don't think, I think it could all be made up, though. So here we go. Okay, that is me. James Maybrick. If you look up, if you type in Jack the Ripper, a lot of times his picture will pop up. He was a wealthy cotton merchant whose death coincided with the end of the Ripper killings. He died, well, he died one year after the last killing, so pretty close. He resided in an estate known as the Battle Creek House in Liverpool, which was not near the crime scene, but most of the murders occurred on a Saturday or Sunday, so the weekend, when a rich person could take a train or whatever, a horse and trolley, whatever rich people took back then, (laughs) take it into the city. The biggest piece of evidence around this is a diary found under the floorboards of his estate, and there was a diary that was signed, quote, I give my name that all know of me, so history do tell what love can do to a gentleman born. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Also in the diary were intimate details of the crime, but they were not accurate. For instance, as far as the murder of Mary, Mary Kelly goes, the author was gloating over how he placed body parts all over the room and goes into sickening detail of how he cut off her breasts having kissed them for a while. Mm. He set them down upon the bedside table. The mutilated body parts were, however, on the full, on the whole, confined to the bed in its immediate vicinity and most certainly had not been placed or strewn or even strung around the room. Her breasts were not placed on the bedside table as it had stated in the diary. So just inaccuracies. Had details, but mm-hmm. details that didn't match up. Mm-hmm. The diary was discovered by Mike Barnett, who said that he fabricated the whole diary thing, but then he later decanted, he recanted that and said that he choked, uh, he he didn't want the publicity for it. So he said, never mind, it was fake. And then later he was like, never mind, it was real, I just don't want to be famous. Another fun find, there was a golden pocket watch that was found at, I don't know what you called it back then, some type of jewelry store. And the person turned it over and they saw that it had the five victims' initials scratched on the back, along with the phrase, I am Jack and J. Maybrick. Just a random pocket watch somebody found. And and that's yeah, really... Yeah, those, those last two are the most, like, convincing. Yeah. But he's the most famous for whatever reason. I think the whole finding things under the floorboard of his house and this mysterious pocket watch is interesting. But I still think Joseph Barnett. No, Joseph Barnett's still a little sketchy too. I definitely don't think it's the royal, the son of Queen Victoria. I don't think it's the painter. Mm -mm. I don't think it's Lewis Carroll. But I feel sorry for that. The lady that was on that paint on the painter. That that cut up all his paintings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But they never, so they never, it's it's not conclusive. No, it they was, the case was officially closed in 1892 and they, nobody knows who did it. They were just like, we give up. 
Mm-hmm. Case closed. There's also a very large theory that we didn't cover that H.H. Um, H. Holmes, the famous serial killer around this time, that also came to America, the murder castle. That it could have been him. We're going to cover him one day, that it, they could have been the same person. And that was just too deep of a theory to jump into yeah, today. We'll cover it on another episode. I don't know, I don't know if, if I buy that. Yeah. But hey, as I always say, those crazy Victorians, that's my mom. <laughs> those crazy Victorians. <laughs> yeah, Victorian age, I mean, assuming you survived the plague and the lack of hygiene and the serial killers. Good for you. Good for you. Mm-hmm. you made it Survival out of, of the fittest. You made it out of that alive. Congratulations to you. So there's there's a time period for you. Mm-hmm. Who knows what time period we'll cover next? Who knows? Let You know, comment we're bringing, on our, We're trying to bring you a plethora of stuff. We're broadening our horizons. We are. And well, I think we have... And a, we take suggestions. I think we have a, an episode coming up for you soon on uh, spooky spots. Yeah, uh, we'll take. We've got spooky spots. We've got tiny tales. We've got time periods. We've got serial killers. Mm-hmm. We've got snacks. Y'all, let us know what you want to hear. We're here to please. You can find us over at on Instagram at uh-huh, Scary Tales scary. Podcast. That's us. That's me. You can choose some emails, and you can get you some miracle noodles with the code Scary Ten. Scary Ten gets you ten percent off some healthy noodles. And we'll see you next Tuesday for another. Scary tale. Another snack and another tale. Bye bye. Bye.